Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is... 12 13 p.m pacific daylight time it's the 12th of september 2022 this is episode 613 of bitcoin and i've got boostergrams i've got them i've got them however i'm not getting them yeah yeah that's what i'm saying man i'm getting i got a bunch of boosts off of um episode 612 all right that was last friday and most of them came from a PTAR because, and I'm pretty sure this is why, I had mentioned that I, to PTAR on the show, on that show, the Friday show, that, or the, um, sorry, the Thursday show, the show before uh, 612. And I mentioned to PTAR on, on the show while I was recording that uh, his 50,000 sat boost, actually, I didn't actually get it. I checked my Thunder, you know, Thunder Hub and Ride the Lightning and I was looking to see it and it just wasn't there. And yet it registered as a boostogram on Fountain App and it gets, you know, I think there's a little bit of, you know, Fountain App. Come on. Fountain App's my daily driver when it comes to podcasts now. Um, I believe you should give it a shot. If you haven't, it's good. But remember, guys. Podcasting 2.0 and all of the the ecosystem that comes along with it is relatively new. There are problems. And I think Fountain App has a small problem here. And I know they're going to fix it. Why? Because Oscar actually emailed me and said, yeah, we, we, we understand that there's a problem. Uh, PTAR contacted us, put in a ticket. Can you help us by giving us some certain information and whatnot like that? So. Uh, these boosts, I'm going to try to do some of these, uh, from, uh, PTAR because like the first thing he did, like, uh, was give me 333,333 sats, but I didn't get them. And that was a mega test boost. He's, I know he heard me because now he's like, he started sending me all these boosts, right? He's like, uh, this next one is 150,000 sats, which I didn't get. And he says, I'm just making numbers up now. <laughs> Uh, let's see, uh, what do you see? Uh, a hundred thousand sat boost from PTAR again. And he's like looking at his wallet and it never left his wallet yet. They're showing up as boosts in fountain app. And by the way, they're also going into the charts. So I got like 50 boosts off this last episode, which is way more than I've ever gotten before. And a lot of them didn't come in. And a lot of these are from PTAR. And he's like, um, you know, 10,000 sats, 25,000 sats. Now, PTAR, the 20, the, the 25,000 sats, I think I got that one. That I got a, 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 a invoice on my lightning node, looking at Thunderhub for like something like 24,754 Satoshis or something like that. So that would be 25,000 minus fees. Um, I believe that that one came from you. That was for testing one, two, three. And uh, I appreciate that one. I have, again, I've emailed, you know, I, I replied to Oscar's email for Oscar's from Fountain and I uh, gave him all the information that he wanted. So they're looking at this stuff on their end. But uh, I did get some other uh, boostograms. Letters 6173 sent a striper boost, 7,777 sats. Pro tip, find someone who looks at you like you look at Bitcoin. And there's a whole bunch more from a Pitar, he's doing his testing. Uh, FW7 says, or gives me 444 sats, says, thank you as always. And then there's several, several 100 sat boosts. Uh, one of them from uh, Mary Oscar. Oh, from Oscar. Yeah, from Oscar Mary over at Fountain. <clears throat> and he's testing with 100, uh, 100 sats. 
And then there's several 50 sat boosts with no messages, no messages, 10 sat boosts, no messages, no messages, none, 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 none. Okay. So that was, yeah, I wanted to go through that exercise just so that you understand that we are in a new world. We, we are in value for value. This is podcasting 2.0. And I still recommend that if you want to support the show, podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. But yet remember, when you give not only myself, but other people in the, uh, in the well, anybody who you're boosting, make sure that it leaves your wallet, okay? Keep track on it. Don't just assume that <clears throat> we've got this stuff all figured out because we don't. And that's okay. It'll get fixed. <clears throat> just, you know, keep the, you know, keep the faith, ladies and gentlemen. Keep the faith. Now, let's get into the news. Today is the day. Who can say who is not Satoshi? Hodel and not, and right, go to trial to find out. That trial begins today. Or, well, probably it's Norway, so it started earlier for them. But here's what Cheyenne Ligon has to say about it from Coindesk.com. Crypto Twitter personality Hodel and Craig Wright, the Australian computer scientist who has long claimed to be the pseudonymous creator of Bitcoin, will face off in an Oslo, Norway courtroom on Monday to settle a years-long legal dispute. <clears throat> the seven-day trial seeks to determine whether a series of Hodel and tweets in March of 2019, in which he wrote that Wright's claims to be Satoshi Nakamoto were false and called him a fraud and a scammer, which he is. He is. He is a fraud and a scammer. Craig Wright, you're a fraud. And you are a scammer. And your buddy Calvin Air, both of you can go to hell. Anyway, he's uh, holding knots trying to figure out if those tweets are protected by freedom of speech in Norway. The suit brought by Hodelinot is one of two concurrent lawsuits between the two men over the tweets. Wright has also sued Hodelinot, known in real life as, and I'm not going to say his name, y'all shouldn't have done that, Coindesk, bad Coindesk, but more commonly known in the cryptosphere by his pseudonym in the United Kingdom. If Hodelinot emerges victorious in Norway, Wright would be unable to collect damages for libel in connection to the tweets in the UK. Hodelinot is far from the only person to question Wright's claims to be Satoshi Nakamoto. Wright has been widely discredited, largely due to his refusal or inability to offer concrete proof that he is Satoshi. Nor is Hodelinot the first to face legal action <clears throat> for speaking out against Wright. Just last month, just last month, the verdict was reached in a similar libel suit brought by Wright against podcaster Peter McCormick, who called Wright a liar and a fraud in 2019. Though a British court found that McCormick's statements caused serious harm to Wright's reputation, Wright was penalized for giving the judge deliberately false evidence and awarded a single British pound in the dam for, uh, for damages. The trial in Norway, initiated by Hodelinot, seeks a declaratory judgment, essentially a legally binding determination by a judge, that his tweets were, were indeed protected by freedom of speech as provided by the Norwegian constitution. If Hodelinot wins his suit, it would prevent another simultaneous libel suit initiated by Craig Wright against Hodelinot back in the United Kingdom from moving forward. <clears throat> Hodelinot filed the Norwegian suit in May of 2019 after receiving a legal notice from Wright's lawyers via Twitter two months earlier. The notice demanded that Hodelinot delete all tweets and other online or other publications in which he alleged that Wright had fraudulently, fraudulently claimed to be Satoshi Nakamoto. <clears throat> Excuse me. As well as tweet a statement written by Wright's lawyers apologizing to Wright and accepting him as the creator of Bitcoin. She's what a scumbag. In April of 2019, Wright supporters placed a $5,000 bounty on Hodel and Not's real life identity, which was not known at the time. According to Hodel and Not, Wright's lawyers petitioned Twitter to disclose his identity, while bounty hunters and private investigators simultaneous, simultaneously worked to dox him. By mid May of that year, Hodel and Not was outed as, and the name, his full name is given, and again, Coindesk, you didn't have to do that. We don't need it continuously, his name continuously put in every fucking publication just because his name is known. You're just adding fuel to the fire. Stop it. 
By mid-May of that year, Hodelinot was outed as some dude after a private investigator posing as a police officer convinced his employer to turn over his phone number and other personal information. Anticipating a suit by right, Hodelinot filled or filed his own participation for declaratory judgment three days after he was doxxed. Less than a month later, Hodelinot's fears were confirmed when Wright's legal team filed a libel suit against him in the United Kingdom. Over the convoluted course of the following two years, both Wright and Hodelinot filed petitions to throw out each other's suits, all of which were ultimately unsuccessful, as well as expensive. The legal battle has also had unintended consequences outside of its impact on Wright and Hodelinot's lives. It also led to a wave of exchanges delisting BSV, the native token of the fork of Bitcoin created by Wright. After the bounty was placed on Hoddle and Knott's identity, Binance CEO Shengpeng Zhao tweeted, quote, Craig Wright is not Satoshi. Any more of this shit, we delist, end quote. Two days after his Twitter threat, CZ tweeted, Craig Wright is a fraud. The real Satoshi can digitally sign any message to prove it. This is as simple as breathing for him or her. And we have the public key. Until then, everyone is Satoshi except Craig Wright. End quote. On April the 15th, 2019, three days after CZ's initial threat, BSV was indeed delisted from Binance. The following day, Kraken announced that it would follow suit in delisting BSV. Quote, the team behind a Bitcoin SV have engaged in behavior completely antithetical to everything we at Kraken and the wider crypto community stands for. It started with fraudulent claims escalating to threats and legal action with the BSV team suing a number of people speaking out against them. The threats were made last week to individual members of the community were, in fact, the last straw, end quote. <clears throat> Wright's libel suit against Huddle and Not is widely considered to be a SLAPP, a slap suit, an acronym for Strategic Lawsuits Against Public Participation, meant to intimidate and censor both Huddle and Not and future critics from publicly opposing Wright. Financially backed by online gambling magnate and, okay, I can't say that. <laughs> Sorry, hold on. I'll figure out a way to slip it in. Financially backed by online gambling magnate Calvin Ayer, who claims to be a billionaire, Wright has the means to pursue litigation that is financially burdensome and for many people impossible to defend against. I'm going to go back and then insert the word pedophile. Financially backed by online gambling magnate and pedophile Calvin Ayer. If you don't know why I'm saying that, you need to go to his Twitter account and look through all the pictures of the clearly, clearly underage girls that are drinking with him on his boat, swimming with him in his pool, hanging out with him at the side of his pool while he's late lounging around in deck chair. Nobody, nobody in their right mind would pose this way with clearly underage girls and then pawn off some bullshit excuse that they were members of an international dance club that he was hosting a party for. That's bullshit. And that was just that one time, Calvin. There are so many days, so many tweets, so many pictures of you fraternizing in a very unscrupulous way with clearly underage women. Actually, let's just say it. Girls. You're hanging out with little girls. You need to burn in hell. Just saying. Air openly spoke about this in April 2019. He tweeted, quote, no need to sue everyone just waiting for a volunteer to bankrupt themselves trying to prove a negative and then letting Craig show the proof. Who will be this moron? End quote. Wright has avoided similar suits against outspoken critics with deeper pockets, including Ethereum creator Vitalik Buterin, who has openly and repeatedly called Wright a scammer. The Bitcoin community has rallied around Huddle and Not, raising money for his legal defense through donations and auctions. At the time of publication, 70.7 Bitcoins worth around $1.5 million has been donated along with $64,000 in fiat donations from over 200, no, 2,500 donors. Though Wright has grounds to sue Huddle and Not in the United Kingdom, he has been a resident of London since 2015. A more cynical take on Wright's choice of venue is that he is much more likely to win a defamation suit there than he is in Norway or anywhere else. 
due to its strict libel laws that place the burden of proof on the defendant rather than the claimant. The UK is famous for being the libel tourism capital of the world. Journalists and media personalities have historically been targeted by political leaders, companies, as well as wealthy individuals. With more money and without the burden of proving their critics wrong, the plaintiffs usually win, often resulting in substantial verdicts for the plaintiff and for the country, a chilling effect on the freedom of speech. Wright's twin defamation suits against Hodelanot and McCormick are not his first foray into the courtroom. He claims to be Satoshi Nakamoto, or his claims to be Satoshi Nakamoto have been followed by a string of lawsuits where Wright is often the plaintiff and occasionally the defendant. His penchant for suing Bitcoin developers and groups that host the Bitcoin white paper online led block founder and CEO Jack Dorsey to set up a nonprofit legal defense fund earlier this year. In 2020, the cryptocurrency Open Patent Alliance was created by Block and joined by other tech companies, including Meta, to pool patents and reserve, <clears throat> preserve the industry's open source ethos. In 2021, COPA filed a lawsuit against Wright over his attempts to copyright the Bitcoin white paper. Last year, Wright also faced Ira Kleeman, the brother of Wright's friend, Dave Kleeman, who sued him in a Miami court over the ownership of Satoshi's Bitcoin. While the jury found that Wright and Kleeman were not business partners and that Wright did not owe his estate any Bitcoins, he was ordered to pay $100 million in compensatory damages for conversion, which is a type of theft of intellectual property. When Coindesk asked Val Friedman, an attorney for the plaintiffs, how much of that $100 million Wright has paid so far to the Kleeman estate nine months after the verdict was issued, Friedman answered, not a dime. <clears throat> okay. That's the end of the article. So that's where we are. Today is the day that Hodel Anat faces off with uh, that shithead and uh, friend of pedophile and degenerate gambler in court in Norway. Um, and this trial, again, lasts seven days. If you have not yet been able to donate to the Legal Defense Fund, I urge you to do so. Um, uh, and I can't remember the name of it right now. Oh, it's been a while since I donated. Uh, yeah, uh, just, I guarantee you, ask some of the Bitcoin maxis how to donate to Hodel and not, they will give you the website to go to. Okay. Just do that. And let's move on. We've got Bitcoin magazine and an underground citadel. Bitcoiners learned how to build sovereign lives. Uh, Katie, the Russian and Jessica Hodler write this one. On August 25th, Plan B Passport hosted the fifth underground citadel at Bitcoin Commons in Austin, Texas. If you didn't attend the highest signal event of the year, this article is for you. We've all been there. You get orange pilled and you learn about a fraudulent monetary system. Then you start to question all the other things that you were lied to about. You enter a stage where you go down all different kinds of rabbit holes while also wanting everything to burn to the ground. But... Once you get past this anger stage, you find that life can still be beautiful and you focus on creating the life that you desire. The Underground Citadel is the conference where we discuss the solutions that help us build the life we deserve outside of the faulty system that we are currently living in. We invite attendees to come and find the signal that stems from Bitcoin and learn how they can create that beautiful life. For this edition of Underground Citadel, we started with the foundation, the basics, the physical security and the derivatives of that situational awareness, uh, mental tactics and threat recognition, how to heighten your ability to be aware of your surroundings and how to counteract any potential threats. We went into depth on the ultimate sovereign individual tool set, including survival instinct, deterrence, preemptive strikes, deception, evacuation, extreme focus and awareness, reality-based training, and perhaps integrating some medical training. In any dangerous situation, you want to create the mental model of appearing big and strong in order to deter any potential threats and be in the habit of breaking your routine. We then segued into hunting. Some might say we even regressed as a society since most people nowadays can't provide food for themselves other than going to a grocery store or a farmer's market. We explored the ins and outs of why you should hunt, <laughs> what kills you should learn, 
and why paying attention to one of the most important skills you can attain. Funnily enough, presenter John Wayne Taylor actually went on to explain how hunting is inefficient in comparison to domestication, farming, and trapping. This is the case until, of course, you're left with no other options. He later went on to explain why one should learn tracking, trailing, marksmanship, and butchery skills in order to further your hunting knowledge. Afterwards, we went on to home birth. This topic seemed to be the most mind-blowing for Bitcoiners. We've had this topic in mind since the first Underground Citadel event, but weren't sure how the male-dominated audience would react. And we really appreciate the way Bitcoiners welcomed this talk. We discussed why we moved toward not trusting our bodies to do one of the main things it was built to do. Why have we allowed a medical system to take over and numb women during childbirth? As Bitcoinerisms, we or as Bitcoiners, we preach don't trust verify, so people should be doing their own research as to why they will or will not have a baby in a hospital and educate themselves on what is best for their scenario, but not allow doctors to scare them into having this beautiful experience under fluorescent lights in a stress-inducing environment in the healthcare system. You are the consumer, and you are the one that should have the power. We then, of course, had to dive into flag theory and jurisdictional arbitrage. At this underground citadel, we dove into how Bitcoin actually enables freedom of movement. And as a group of people who value permissionless money, we should also value permissionless movement. As of now, we are born into a non-consensual monopoly. And in a fiat world, we are unable to keep governments accountable. The money printer and greedy leaders are what control the world. However, under a Bitcoin standard, the people become the customers and governments are forced to compete with each other through providing the best services for the best prices. But until then, this is exactly why we focus on investment migration. The term we use in the jurisdictional arbitrage industry to describe the immigration programs that involve investment or donation as a basis for acquiring a visa, residency, or a passport. This is why we encourage people to implement jurisdictional arbitrage or flag theory into their lives. At Plan B Passport, we define flag theory as a concept of limiting your dependency on any one particular state by stacking flags in jurisdictions that are beneficial for you in various ways. We like to apply a markets and capitalism lens into the way governments currently operate and show how Bitcoin brought the jurisdictional arbitrage game to a whole other level, which actually solves the lack of a free market between nation states. We then had our very own functional medicine expert, Dr. Ubre, go over how to take charge of your health by unlocking your discomfort genome. I'm sure a lot of us have done some pretty restrictive diets trying to get in the best health that when we could have instead figured out what we were missing from some tests and figured out what our bodies actually needed. We went over the five pillars of health, biological, mycotoxins, environmental, heavy metals, and emotional, and went on to explain why you should test for each pillar. Biohacking after healing is much easier than before healing. Once optimized, you can then focus on reverse aging by unlocking your discomfort genome. Last and not least, we have the quick start guide to 3D printing your sovereignty. Just like with hunting, for example, tracking, killing, and processing an animal is not your first choice when it comes to putting food on the table as it's pretty inefficient. Well, the same goes for 3D printing. It is an unreliable source of weaponry. There's a steep learning curve, plus going out and purchasing your weapons is just more efficient. However, it's not something you need until you do, and at that point, it's too late. When you don't have easy access to water, you get a water softener, water filter, water delivering, etc., but you'd only be doing this when you don't have access to water. What happens when you don't have access to water and also don't have a solution? The same applies to 3D printing. When guns are no longer on the table, you're going to want to know how to print them. You don't need a passport when everything is fine and dandy, but you also don't need some cyberspace money and censorship-resistant way of exchanging value until fiat currencies go to zero and you lose all your wealth. You don't need a second means of a travel document until your original way of travel is no longer of use, and at this point, again, well, it's too late. As sovereign individuals, 
who were considered preppers, everything shared at Underground Citadel was definitely a step outside of our comfort zones, just as any other form of growth is uncomfortable. So our message to you all in regards to everything we've covered is, it's not easy, but it's worth it. Luckily, for those of you who were unable to attend, we recorded the speakers and their presentations. You can visit this link to get access to the recordings. <laughs> That's so awesome, Katie. Katie is an awesome woman, man. I got to meet her at the first and only BitBlock Boom that I've been able to attend, and that was a couple of years ago. Nice as could be, and she's just a, I mean, she's just baller. So <clears throat> if you get a chance uh, to go to her underground citadel, uh, I kind of recommend it. I, after reading this, I'm kind of wanting to go myself. That whole notion of hunting kind of, you know, made me start thinking, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe I should, maybe I should do that. And now that I live in a place where I can go and drive 13 miles and be in the deepest woods that I've ever been to in my life, um, I might just do that myself. Uh, Idaho is uh, some of the, the, the mountains and, and whatnot in Idaho are holy shit, guys. I've, <clears throat> I've been in a lot of forests, a lot of forests mostly in Colorado. I've never seen trees this big. <laughs> never. I've never seen trees this big. I see, I saw trees that are like, I would just regard them as monsters. That's all I can say. Now, the Chamber of Digital Commerce says, the time has come for the SEC to approve a Bitcoin ETF. And if you think this article is going to make, the, make them change their mind, you're fooling yourself, but Turner Wright's got some good points in this one from Cointelegraph. The crypto advocacy group Cha Chamber of Digital Commerce called on the Securities and Exchange Commission to approve applications for Bitcoin exchange traded funds in the interest of the United States based investors. In a Monday report titled The Crypto Conundrum, the Chamber of Digital Commerce said the U.S. has fallen behind other countries whose residents have access to crypto investment vehicles, including Bitcoin ETFs. The crypto advocacy group added that there were no reported instances of hacking or theft and no indications of market manipulation related to Bitcoin ETFs released abroad, suggesting that the SEC's reasoning in previously rejecting the applications was misguided and counterproductive. Quote, as the SEC continues to stonewall, the United States continues to fall further behind other countries as capital that would have been invested in the United States which would be managed by United States firms employing, you know, United States persons, is instead deployed in other more innovation-friendly countries, said the Chamber of Digital Commerce, naming Canada, Germany, Sweden, Switzerland, and Australia. By the way, don't forget Brazil, okay? They got them too. The crypto advocacy group pushed back against the SEC, citing its obligation to protect investors and denying the approval of a Bitcoin ETF, saying its actions encouraged investors, quote, to acquire their exposure to Bitcoin in a less regulated and or foreign environment where they are much more susceptible to unscrupulous actors and the risks of self-custody, end quote. Further quote, the SEC has now positioned itself as a merit regulator <clears throat> on this matter. It has determined that the American public cannot yet handle the responsibility of familiar, cost-effective, liquid, transparent, and regulated access to the Bitcoin markets. Unfortunately, the cost of this position has fallen and will continue to fall on United States investors and the U.S. capital markets. We can't deny the huge demand for exposure to this new and innovative asset class, said Chamber of Digital Commerce founder and CEO Perianne Boring in a Monday interview on Fox Business. Quote, you would think that our regulators would be working with the industry to bring regulated products to the market for retail investors, but they've been stopped at every attempt over the past decade. According to the report, part of the motivation behind SEC's continuing denial of BTC ETF applications may be political. The CDC said SEC Chair Gary Gensler's efforts to expand the authority of the regulatory body to include many crypto products was effectively a jurisdictional land grab. The group claimed his positions to also cut off the engagement between regulators and token issuers. To date, the United States financial regulator has turned down spot Bitcoin ETF applications from 16 companies, 
often stating the proposed rule changes allowing exchanges to list investment vehicles were not designed to prevent fraudulent and manipulative acts and practices. The CDC report claimed that advocacy groups have made little, if any, progress in convincing the SEC to change its position on the matter, saying the United States is no closer to having a Bitcoin ETF than when Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss filed the very first registration statement for a Bitcoin ETF, and that was in 2013. However, the SEC has given the green light to several ETFs linked to Bitcoin futures, Mm-hmm. Bitcoin futures, we can't have the real thing. We got to have a derivative of it because apparently that's the only way we can think about anything in this country anymore is not the thing itself. No, no, you want the derivative. You want something that represents the thing. You want a piece of paper that's traded on futures markets that says that there's an amount of Bitcoin represented by this little sheet of paper that's exchanged by futures and trading and all kinds of shit. It's a derivative. On what fucking planet do you not want the Coke, but you want a glass of water and somebody telling you that it's actually a derivative of the Coke? That's just stupid. It's just beyond fucking ignorant. So I, clearly there's a reason for all this shit. And I guarantee you it's not to protect the investor. No, 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 it's not. 16. BTC ETF applications have been denied by the SEC since 2013. Let that fucking sink in. 16 companies. And I think several of those things have actually put at least two, if not three, applications and have either pulled them or got them denied and then rewrote them and then put them back up for the SEC's review. I don't know when an ETF is going to happen. It's going to happen eventually. But there's two things. First thing's most important. Don't look for it too soon. And second, Bitcoin doesn't need an ETF to be successful. But the investors of the United States are not being allowed to be successful themselves because many of them are in situations where they cannot legally custody or they're not choosing an investment vehicle that allows them, like for instance, Uh, let's say I work, uh, let's say I'm a college professor, uh, working at a state run university. I got a state pension fund. That pension fund cannot hold Bitcoin for me in my pension fund because right now there's no other, they cannot buy Bitcoin themselves. It's illegal. They have to use an ETF. So when the SEC continuously denies the ETF, it's not that they're denying me the ability to buy Bitcoin. I can, I do. I buy Bitcoin all the fucking time, right? But they are denying every pension plan in the United States, whether it's a union pension plan, a state like a teacher's credit union pension plan. It doesn't matter. It's the fact that all the pension plans, and that's just that investment vehicle is not allowed to buy Bitcoin on behalf of their customers. They have to use an ETF or some other, some other SEC approved instrument. And think about how many pension plans that is. And that's just, let's just take colleges. Let's just take the education sector, public school teachers and uh, state colleges or public universities and stuff like that. How many pension plans is that? It's a lot of people. Now add in emergency and first responder unions and their pension plans. Now that's a shit ton more, isn't it? Now all of a sudden we see why it's kind of important that we get an ETF and understanding that Bitcoin doesn't need it. But the people that have those pension plans, most of them are too terrified to go get Bitcoin on their own. They could, and we should endeavor to educate them how and to make it easier and easier for them to say, well, if, I, if, you're, if my pension plan isn't going to do it for me, then I'm going to do it myself. We need to make that the, the, the differential of hardness that they experience when they do that less and less and less to where it's like, yeah, then I'll just do it myself. But until such time as as just somebody who just doesn't have the time, you know, they're working two jobs. They got kids. 
they don't have time to examine this shit. You know, if we can work it from our end to be able to make it easier for those people, then we've got a shot at this. But until then, SEC still dragging their feet and let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. West Texas Intermediate oil up 1.44% to $88.04. Britain North Sea up just a bit over 1.5% to $94.26. Natural gas up 4.5 points back to $8 territory at $8.35. Gasoline is uh, up 1.32% to $2.46 per gallon. Gold and all of the um, associated China metal rocks are up. Gold is up 0.43% to $1,736. Bucks. Silver up 5.37% to $19.77. That's a hell of a rise for silver. Uh, platinum is up 2.8%. Copper is up 1.1%. Palladium is up 4.5%. Uh, we got agricultural futures are mostly up. Biggest loser is wheat, 1.32% to the downside. Guys, the biggest winner is soybean of all things in the world, 5.2% to the upside. And uh, let's see, oh, coffee is also losing by about a uh, point and a half, something like that. We've got the Dow up a half point. S&P is up 0.8%. NASDAQ is up a full point. S&P mini is up 0.83%. Real money cashing in, baby, at $22,391.08. We have only seen 500,000 Bitcoin passing hands in the past 24 hours, which is quite a bit different than last week, where we had multiple millions of Bitcoin changing hands in a 24-hour period. Uh, we have 1.84 Bitcoin being the average transaction value, the median transaction value is 0.018 BTC or 400 bucks, which is quite a bit less than the $500 average that I was seeing for the last few weeks. Block times are low, nine minutes and seven seconds. 0.08 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 13 BTC taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours. And with a 1.11% decrease in hash rate, we're still at 253.4 exahashes per second. And your shitcoin indicator, Doge, is 6.4 United States pennies. There are 1,319 transactions waiting on one block to clear. We have a $429.7 billion market cap, which is only 3.77% of gold's entire market cap. But if you want, you can, you can score 13 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,148,792 of and... 4,749 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at north of 100 million at 106.6 million to be in fact. Uh, let's see, that's being run over 17,206 nodes, sporting 85,022 payment channels. And the percentage of Tor capacity has dipped below 70%. Huh, it's at 69.7% right now. And that's representative of TOR's 12,314 nodes. That's going to do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Bitcoin Magazine's Sean Amick comes out swinging. Luxury resort Palazzo Versace Dubai now accepts Bitcoin. Palazzo Versace Dubai, a luxury resort in the United Arab Emirates, is now accepting Bitcoin and some cryptocurrencies as payment for services per a press release. The resort has partnered with Binance, the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, enabling its customers to pay with Bitcoin. Starting September 7th, uh, customers have been able to use Bitcoin to pay for room stays, restaurants, meetings, events, and spa experiences. All guests will now have the option to pay at the property using the Binance app. Quote, we continue to be the pioneers of innovation and growth in the hospitality business, said Monther Darwish, managing director of Palazzo Versace, per the release. Quote, 
Accepting cryptocurrencies as payment is yet another innovative step that we have taken toward making our business future ready, end quote. The next phase of the launch will see the resort tackle online payments integration and is expected soon after. Following the integration, Palazzo will accept the new form of payment through its e-commerce platform, which also enables customers to purchase gift cards and browse its flower shop. Oh boy. Palazzo's acceptance of Bitcoin comes on the heels of financial institutions like FTX Exchange and Comainu entering Dubai as the region attempts to become a hub for digital innovation. Quote, Palazzo Versace's ability to now accept payments and virtual assets is a reflection of how the hospitality industry in Dubai is at the forefront of innovation as we move into a more digital world, said Nadim Ladke, head of business development for Binance in the region. Quote, payments is just the beginning and we look forward to building on this partnership together, Ladke concluded. <clears throat> so Swanky Hotel in a sand-blown, sun-baked desert is taking Bitcoin. Yay. Okay, it is actually kind of important because Palazzo Versace isn't exactly small potatoes in the hospitality world. However, the question is always, is it too soon? Is it too soon for these merchants? Because we've tried this once before. There was a whole set of merchant adoption, 2014, 2015, somewhere around there, and it just didn't go anywhere. And I'm reading you story after story after story of pretty much the same thing happening again, except with bigger names. Like, I don't know, a couple of, you know, high-end watch manufacturers. You got these hotels, you got a car, you know, like car people sell you a car for Bitcoin. And I wonder, are we going to experience that same shit again where the merchants are just like, eh, is it too soon? Uh, give me a boostagram. Tell me if you think it's too soon for merchant adoption. And yes, you're more than welcome to yell at me for even positing it. I, I, I understand that you could be pissed and triggered by that. I get it. 64% of staked ETH controlled by five entities. Nansen says in a report, talk about getting triggered. Gareth Jenkinson, who's not triggered in this piece, but uh, this is going to trigger like this triggers me. Why? Because this is a shit that I've been talking about for a long time now. This, we already have a fiat system that benefits the rich. Do we really need another one? Do we really need ETH? Because all it is is a reflection of the current system that we already have. But Gareth is going to tell us more from Cointelegraph. A report from blockchain analytics platform Nansen highlights five entities that hold 64% of all staked Ether ahead of Ether Ethereum's highly anticipated merge with the beacon chain. Ethereum's shift from proof of work to proof of stake is set to take place in the coming days after final updates and shadow forks have been completed in early September. The key component of the merge sees miners no longer used as validators replaced by stakers that commit ETH to maintain the network. <laughs> Just reading that last sentence makes no fucking sense. It makes no sense. Replaced by stakers that commit ETH to maintain the network. So MeetSpace is somehow able to, just by staking, have a say in network digital space. It doesn't make sense. The more you think about it, it doesn't make any sense, but whatever. <clears throat> Nansen's report highlights that just over 11% of the total circulating ETH is staked. With 65% liquid and 35% illiquid, there are a total of 426,000 validators and some 80,000 depositors, while the report also highlights a small group of entities that command a significant, por uh, significant portion of staked ETH. Three, major cryptocurrency exchanges account for a third of staked ETH, namely Coinbase, Kraken, and Binance. Lidao Dow, the biggest merge staking provider, accounts for the largest amount of staked ETH with a 31% share, while a fifth unlabeled group of validators holds 23% of staked ETH. Lido and other decentralized on-chain liquid staking protocols were initially set up 
as a counter risk to centralized exchanges accumulating the majority of staked ETH, given that these firms are required to comply with jurisdictional regulation. Nansen's report stresses the need for Lido to be sufficiently decentralized to remain resistant to censorship. On-chain data shows that ownership of Lido's governance token, the LDO, is, of course, concentrated with groups of large token holders potentially carrying censorship risk. Quote, for example, the top nine addresses hold 46% of governance power and a small number of addresses typically dominate proposals. The stakes for proper decentralization are very high for an entity with a potential majority share of state ETH, end quote. Nansen also concedes that the Lido community is actively seeking solutions to the potential risk of over-centralization with initiatives including dual governance as well as a legally and physically distributed validator set proposed. Given the ongoing slump in cryptocurrency markets, the majority of staked ETH is currently out of profit, down by 71%, meaning, or sorry, meanwhile, 18% of all staked ETH is held by illiquid stakers that are in profit. Nansen suggests that this category of stakers is the most likely to sell their ETH once withdrawals are enabled at the Shanghai upgrade. Fears of a major sell-off at the merge are unwarranted, though, as ETH withdrawals will only be possible 6 to 12 months after the merge. And if it just didn't make you want to hurl and throw up a little bit in your mouth, I don't know what will. You can't get your money for 6 to 12 months. How is this any different than whatever? You get it. Do we live in a free world? Quote, even then, not everyone can withdraw their stake at once as there is an exit queue in place for validators similar to the activation queue of around six validators, usually 32 ETH apiece per epoch, which is every 6.4 minutes, end quote. Nansen notes that if all validators withdrew their staked ETH and stopped being validators, this would take around 300 days with over 13 million ETH staked. Let's read that again. I'm going to read the quote again. Quote, even then, not everyone can withdraw their stake at once as there is a exit queue in place for validators, similar to the activation queue of around six validators per epoch, end quote. Here's, that's part of it. Here's the crux. Nansen notes that if all validators withdrew their staked ETH and stopped being validators, it would take over 300 days with over 13 million ETH staked. So even if you want to get out, and even if you're in the uh, six to 12 month range and you get, and St. Buterin gives you the go ahead. Yes, yes, young pleb, you are allowed to take your money out of my system. You still have to wait in a fucking line to get out the goddamn door. And that's a very small door. And that's a very long line. It's ridiculous. Nansen notes, or sorry, the blockchain and analytics platform announced the launch of a new research and education arm alongside its merge report aimed at marrying its on-chain data analytics with master classes and research papers. Nansen Research Portal will also publish industry expert research reports from various partners in the blockchain and cryptocurrency industries. Okay, it's just bullshit. Get as far away from this, this thing as you possibly can. I'm sorry, but that's, God, that's investment advice. There is nothing about this system that makes sense. And I used to be kind of fascinated with ETH when I first got into, when I first got into Bitcoin, like everybody else, I was not immune. I had to build up immunity to shitcoinery. And it took a while. And while I was still immunodepressed when it came to shitcoinery, I was clearly and honestly fascinated with Ethereum. Oh, it's these contracts and they're, they're, they're executable and you can write them in code. And I, I felt, and, and it, it, it works like Bitcoin, but it's slightly different. And it, and what I found out is it's all just a Rube Goldberg machine. It takes an extraordinary amount of mental gymnastics to figure out why the hell we even need this thing. And all I can come up with is that we don't. 
And that's why MicroStrategy is considering buying even more Bitcoin. Jansen Nelson from Decrypt.co. A publicly traded software company, MicroStrategy, is already the single largest corporate holder of Bitcoin, with over 129,000 BTC in its coffers. Now, just one month after its bombastic CEO, Michael Saylor, stepped down, and one week after the Washington, D.C. Attorney General sued the company and Saylor for alleged tax fraud, the company wants to buy more. In a prospectus, Filed with the SEC on Friday, MicroStrategy said that the firm had entered an agreement with investment bank Cohen & Company to sell up to $500 million in shares of its Class A common stock. Quote, we may use the net proceeds from this offering to purchase additional Bitcoin. Chad as fuck, dude. The company said in the filing, the firm warned of Bitcoin's volatility and wild price swings that saw the largest cryptocurrency by market cap trade below $20,000 earlier this week, down from an all-time high of, yeah, you know, $68,000 in November of 2021, according to coin market cap data, quote, Future fluctuations in Bitcoin trading prices may result in our converting Bitcoin purchased with the net proceeds from this offering into cash with a value substantially below the net proceeds from this offering, the company said. Under Sailor, the enterprise software company has accrued a sizable Bitcoin treasury, and today it's worth over $2.7 billion, which the company says it plans to hold for the long term. Last month, MicroStrategy reported a non-cash digital impairment charge of, what, $917.8 million in the second quarter of 2022. That same month, Saylor stepped down as CEO, transitioning to executive chairman. In the prospectus, MicroStrategy added that it has no plans to engage in trading or enter into derivative contracts with its Bitcoin holdings, but may sell Bitcoin as needed to generate cash for treasury management and other general corporate purposes, end quote. Quote, we have not targeted any specific amount of Bitcoin holdings. We will continue to monitor market conditions in determining whether to conduct debt or equity financing to uh, purchase additional Bitcoin. So this is kind of interesting. There's a threat of sale and the threat of buying more Bitcoin. Still chat as fuck though. I mean, after all that, after all that, after being lampooned, pointed at, laughed at, sued by the Washington DC AG, here's Michael Saylor threatening to buy more Bitcoin. I mean, holy shit, dude. He just, it's, it's like a juggernaut. He just won't stop. And maybe the conservative party of Canada won't stop either. Uh, because they elected pro-Bitcoin leader Pierre Poyave, however you pronounce his name, as party head. I'm going to just preface this whole thing right here. We've seen several, several, I repeat, several politicians, quote unquote, get on the Bitcoin wagon, and they were only doing it for votes. If you don't believe me, go back and see what the mayor of Washington, D.C. was saying when he was running and what he says now about Bitcoin. And he's com it's not that he's completely flipped, but he certainly doesn't have the ethos of Bitcoin anywhere close to him. The mayor of Miami. There's a whole bunch of politicians that are running on the Bitcoin platform and it's up to us to continue to vet the living shit out of them even after they're elected and make their life painful when they deviate from the path. Yes, I'm a Bitcoin maxi. I don't care. I'm unapologetic about it. Frederick Munawa is writing for Coindesk. The Conservative Party of Canada elected pro-Bitcoin Ontario Member of Parliament Pierre Poivre, however you pronounce it, as the party's new leader on Saturday, and it wasn't even close. He garnered over 68% of the conservative vote, miles ahead of his closest rival, former Quebec Premier Jean Charest, who only managed to scrounge up 16% in total votes. Uh, Pierre not only dominated in vote count, but was also the preferred candidate in almost every single riding electoral district across Canada. As the CPC's new leader, Pierre is now poised to battle current Prime Minister Justin Trudeau for Canada's top job in the 2025 federal election. This means Canadians may soon have the opportunity to elect a pro-Bitcoin Prime Minister, a first in North American politics. Quote, 
government is ruining the Canadian dollar. Well, and Canada, by the way, I'm just saying, government is ruining the Canadian dollar. So Canadians should have the freedom to use other money, such as Bitcoin, Pierre said earlier this year. Pierre has been a vocal proponent of Bitcoin, going as far as buying a shawarma with Bitcoin on camera at Tahini's London during his spring CPC leadership campaign. He owns at least $10,000 in units. Uh, yeah, $10,000 in units of Purpose Bitcoin, a Canadian Bitcoin exchange traded fund, as per his political disclosures. Quote, I want to make Canada the blockchain capital of the world. Oh, God, see, that's your first red flag. That's your first red flag. All these assholes say the same thing. The mayor of fucking D.C. said the exact same thing. He wouldn't turn Washington, D.C. into the blockchain capital of the world. Miami's mayor, Miami is going to be the blockchain capital of the world. That's your red flag. You need to watch this dude like a hawk. Pierre, like most staunch Bitcoiners, yeah, well, let's wait. Let's wait to see that shit, bro. He does not seem to be a big fan of fiat currency. He is railed against the Bank of Canada for failing to temper runaway inflation. He also promised that under his premiership, he would fire the central bank's governor, audit the bank's activities, and stop the development of a central bank digital currency. Quote, the Bank of Canada has zero business developing its own digital currency. As prime minister, I would scrap that and instead allow the auditor general to audit their $400 billion money printing fiasco, Pierre tweeted earlier this spring. Again, that's the end of the article. Again, watch this dude like a hawk. Do not let him get away with anything. We've let this shit go on too far. We're just lit at this point. We're just letting politicians say whatever the hell that they want to say and, and believe them when that they're apparently going to be, uh, that they're going to be for Bitcoin. And we just believe them. Don't believe this guy. I, I actually like Pierre. I like some of the shit that he said. But I'm, I'm tired of being fucking burned by all the politicians who just get on the Bitcoin bandwagon to do nothing but get voted in. And then once they're voted in, they don't give a shit about it anymore. Watch this dude like a hawk. Make sure everything he says is on record, tweeted prolifically. And if he even looks like he's getting outside of the fucking boundaries of Bitcoin, then let him have it. Again, I am unapologetic about being a Bitcoin maximalist. And if you got a problem with it, I don't know what to tell you other than Nigeria sets plans to launch a special economic zone for Bitcoin and crypto. This is from BTC Times, Philip or Philippe F. Nigeria is pursuing to create the first economic free zone for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in West Africa through the Nigerian Export Processing Zones Authority, according to a press release. Talent City specializes in building special economic zones and is working alongside Binance and Nigeria's Export Processing Zones Authority. According to NEPSA, Nigeria Export Processing Zone Authority, managing director, no way to pronounce this name, our goal is to engender flourishing virtual free zones to take advantage of a near trillion dollar virtual economy in blockchains and digital economies, uh, in quote. Additionally, if the goal is met and the special economic zone is established, NEPSA explained that the zone will model the success of the Dubai virtual free zone. To paint the picture of what the goal of the zone would be, the Dubai World Trade Center and Binance entered into a memorandum of understanding with the intention to make Dubai, you guessed it, a hub for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency-related products and services by creating a new international virtual asset system. So there you go. Last thing I've got on the docket is just, I'm just going to give you the headline because you don't need to know anything more about it. Starbucks announces a new NFT experience for coffee members. Yeah. I have one piece of advice for Starbucks. You should work on being able to brew a decent cup of coffee before you start scamming your customers. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Monday with Dad Says Jokes. My Tinder date and I decided to meet at a gym for our first date, but she never showed up. 
that's when I knew we weren't going to work out. Yeah, that's a good one for a Monday. All right. Again, if you want to support the show, Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. Pitar, a special thanks to you for not just trying to give me ask tons of Satoshis, but the time that you took to try to experiment and figure out on your end what the hell was going on with failed attempts at Boostagrams. That's you spending your time that you got on this planet to try to figure out a problem that we were both having and that affects me. You were giving your time to me. So I can't, I can't thank you enough. And the fact that you went above and beyond to write Oscar Mary over there at Fountain and then was able to get him to direct, get in touch with me. He emailed me. Uh, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know what to say, man. It's, it, that's impressive. And, uh, but the thing about Pitar that you need to know is that he's a huge proponent for podcasting 2.0. I'm always hearing his boostograms on podcasting 2.0 the podcast with uh, Adam Curry and uh, and his friend on the other end, John, I can't remember his name. Damn it. Anyway, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm always hearing, he always don't, uh, or does boostograms to uh, Podcasting 2.0's, that podcast to demonstrate exactly how powerful this is. And I am, I don't know what's going on with why you weren't able to give, you know, uh, successfully send the boostograms, but I appreciate you trying to work the problem on your end and you weren't even asked. Thank you, Pitar. I appreciate it. And hopefully I'll get your boostagram on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.